welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series five and episode two, which describes the healing of a widow's son. This story is only told in Luke's gospel in chapter seven, verses 11 to 17, which is our text for this episode. So we're now in a series five and we've seen a lot of very significant things happen in Jesus's life already. Series one described his birth and his early years. Series two, the beginning of his ministry in Galilee. Series three, his first tour around the whole of the northern province of Galilee. Series four was devoted entirely to the Sermon on the Mount. And we've just begun series five, which is Jesus's second tour around Galilee. And he's taking his apostles with him. Remember that at the end of series three, just at the time of the Sermon on the Mount, just before then, he had appointed 12 men as his apostles and representatives. And eventually he's going to send them out in pairs, preaching the message of Jesus of the kingdom of God without him being present. He's training them and they're experiencing many aspects of Jesus's power and authority his attitudes to people, his message, his communication, and they're at his side day by day as he travels around on the second tour of Galilee. And Luke has taken up the story. And in the first episode, we saw the event of the healing of the centurion's servant in Capernaum. This is described in Luke 7 verses 1 to 10, which is the immediately preceding passage. And that was an astonishing and wonderful miracle in its own rights, in which this Gentile soldier working for King Herod Antipas or King Herod the Tetrarch, the local ruler in Galilee, was drawn to Jesus and was willing to trust him and reach out to him at a time of great crisis when his servant, his much valued servant, was critically ill and undoubtedly about to die. And he sent two delegations to Jesus and Jesus healed the man, the servant, without even having to enter the house. So that was a great event that has just taken place. But as I said a moment ago, this is a tour. Jesus is traveling around Galilee. It's the second tour of the Galilean area. And this episode now that we're going to read and study and consider today takes Jesus to the very southernmost part of Galilee, to a town called Nain. And it was just on the border between Galilee and the next province, which uh, was known as Samaria, populated largely by the Samaritan people who were related to the Jewish people, but a distinct ethnic group and a lot of tension between them. So in the north, we have Galilee, then we have Samaria, and to the south, we have the heartland of the Jewish people, the main province of Judea. And in Judea, we also have the capital city of Jerusalem. So Jesus is now still in Galilee, but he's going as far south as you can go while still remaining in the province or district of Galilee. And of course, there are crowds around. This is almost always the case with Jesus. You'll probably remember there was a crowd with him when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. 
and probably some of those crowd went back to Capernaum with him where he healed the centurion servant and now soon after that event uh, Jesus heads south about 40 kilometers to the town of Nain and something quite extraordinary happens. This is one of the most outstanding miracles recorded in the Gospels. It often gets very little attention but it is a truly wonderful story as you'll see as we read it. Let's read uh, Luke 7 verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. We have no record of Jesus going to Nain ever before. This might have been his first visit to this town, which was right on the edge of his sphere of operations in Galilee. But it was a pretty sensational event. Notice that there are two crowds here. We have the crowd following Jesus and we have the crowd coming out of the town of Nain following the dead body and the bier and moving towards the burial. Lots of people and a very intense situation which suddenly comes to light for Jesus and his followers as he literally walks straight towards a funeral procession that's coming straight out of the town towards him. It's a very dramatic scene, as you can imagine, as I'm expressing it and explaining it to you. What's Jesus going to do in this situation? But before we get to that, we just need to think a little bit about how the Jews handled death and bereavement. Coffins were generally open. The burial was a community event and it was customary for people in a village or community to all share in the grieving process and to turn up for burials. Burials took place out of town generally, hence the procession coming out of the town in this case. They were solemn, emotional and interestingly enough, touching the dead body was forbidden under the law of Moses. That's an interesting point there was a risk of uncleanness in fact we have in numbers 19 verse 16 the following statement 
Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. Now Jesus touched the beer and so he's identifying with this death and this suffering even at the risk of being seen to be ritually unclean. Now, a funeral is always a tragedy. It's always a very sad moment. I've been to many funerals. I've participated in many. I've led quite a few. I've experienced the funerals of many of the older members of my family. It's always a very moving moment. There are always deep emotions of loss that we feel. But this particular funeral was extremely intense in respect of the loss and the tragedy. Because the woman in question is described, first of all, as a widow, and secondly, having only one son. Now, these things are very significant in the ancient Jewish culture because it was men who had the responsibility to provide for their families. And widows were in an economically vulnerable position unless other relatives took up their cause and helped them out, which wasn't guaranteed. So a widow was economically vulnerable and potentially poor. And so a widow would naturally look to her children, to her sons, as providers for her in her old age, having been bereaved and lost her husband, their father. But as we see in the story, not only has she lost her husband, but she's lost her son. And not only has she lost her son, he's the only son. So the two people who could provide for her have both died. And her son has died before her, which in itself is a tremendous tragedy. Something terribly hard to bear for a parent is their child dying before them. She had to bear that. But she also had to bear the extreme uncertainty of knowing what her life would be like and how she would be provided for and protected in a society in which that responsibility was overwhelmingly given to the male members of the family. How would she going to cope with the loss of her son? What actually happens in this story is a literal physical resurrection. This is the first time such an event is described in Jesus' ministry. In fact, there are three such events which are described. This is the first one, the son of the widow of Nain, who's raised up from the dead. The second one is coming up shortly in Luke chapter 8, is the healing and the resurrection and the raising up of Jairus's daughter, a young girl who died in the family home prematurely and Jesus came and raised her from the dead. And the third one is Jesus's friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, who John describes in chapter 11 as being raised from the dead 
after he had been buried and was in his tomb and the stone was placed in front of the tomb outside the village where he lived, which was Bethany near Jerusalem. That was a very dramatic miracle right at the end of Jesus's ministry. However, an interesting point about all these miracles is they all take place concerning people who have died prematurely. They've died young. This boy is young. Jairus's daughter is still in the care of her parents. Lazarus uh, appears to be a young man, certainly not an old man. But these resurrections also need to be understood as temporary resurrections because these three people, the widow of Nain's son, Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, they all ultimately died a natural death many years later. This isn't quite the same as the resurrection of Jesus, which is a physical resurrection with a permanence about it. Jesus then took on the resurrection body, which is no longer prone to corruption, decay, disease or death. That's a wonderful and greater miracle. These miracles prefigure that. They point towards that. But this person takes up their physical life as it was before, with all the strengths and weaknesses of that physical life related to the age of that person. But nevertheless, it's still an outstanding miracle and a sign of something incredibly great. The astonishment of the crowd is overwhelming. I mean, no one knew that Jesus was coming, presumably. He just appeared on the edge of the village. The crowd weren't thinking about Jesus. They weren't thinking about miracles. They weren't thinking about God doing anything to save this woman from possible poverty and to give her back her cherished son. No one imagined that at all. And the crowd travelling with Jesus would be absolutely fascinated to know what would Jesus do? Would he just go along and join in the funeral procession and give his condolences to the woman and pray for her to be blessed? No, he did something far more radical than that. He interrupted the funeral procession. They never got to the grave. The grave was no doubt prepared and ready to receive the body in a few minutes time. But the body never got to the grave because resurrection took place when Jesus said to the man, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's astonishing, it's as if Jesus took his hand after he sat up in the funeral bier, said, come on, let's get off there. Here's your mother. Life has been restored. What a wonderful miracle. Now, the response of the people was overwhelmingly exciting. And, and Luke only describes it very briefly, but I think you can easily imagine what Luke is saying. They were all filled with awe and praise God. So spontaneous rejoicing broke out amongst the crowd, the crowd from the town of Nain and the crowd that came with Jesus. They all spontaneously were overwhelmed with excitement to see at what he had done. And it's interesting to see what they said. Luke records this statement from the crowd. A great prophet has appeared among us. 
God has come to help his people. Now these are profound sentiments. Now I want to just think about them for a moment. A great prophet has appeared among us. Now, to the Jew, when they think about a prophet, they think about the Old Testament. And if you think about the Old Testament prophets, there are prophets who give remarkable predictions about the short and long term and medium term future, like Jeremiah and Isaiah. But there are other types of prophets too. Prophets who do miraculous signs. So I want now just to pause on this expression and just think about it. A great prophet has appeared among us. And as I think about it, it occurs to me that if I was a Jew and if I was familiar with the Old Testament, which no doubt they were, they heard it read in the synagogue every Sabbath, I would think of two particular prophets in the history of Israel. Elijah and his associate and successor, Elisha. They appear in the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. They were prophets who operated in the northern part of the country, very close to the area that we are talking about here. And both of them are recorded as having raised up from the dead the sons of women who called out to them for help when their sons had died prematurely. And this seems very interesting when we compare it with the event that has just been described. For example, Elijah was staying with a widow in a place called Zarephath. And in 1 Kings 17... Verses 19 to 23, we have part of the description of the raising of the dead of the son of this widow who became very ill and suddenly died. Just listen to this as an account that the Jews would be very familiar with. 1 Kings 17 verses 19 to 23. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room of the house where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Now such a miracle was very rare in ancient Israel. But the prophets Elijah and Elisha were known historically for performing some very remarkable miracles. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha raises from the dead 
the son of a Shunammite woman. And you can read the story in 2 Kings 4. Now, these were prophets who came to help Israel. And the raising from the dead was accepted by the Jews as a remarkable miracle that could only be performed by a great prophet or possibly even only by the Messiah, the greatest prophet of all. And they said, God has come to help his people. A prophet like Elijah and Elisha, but as the Gospels reveal to us, even greater than them. What a wonderful story. What a moving human story. The sort of thing would be wonderful to see in a movie and to just get the feeling of how extraordinary this intervention of Jesus was, how brave and courageous it was, how culturally challenging it was and how thrilling it was for people to see this young boy. They'd known him knocking around the town. No doubt he grew up in the area and suddenly he'd gone and now he was back again. And this village or town of Nain would never quite be the same again. They'd always remember the day that Jesus came to town. So I just want to reflect a little bit on this remarkable story. First thing to say is that this is an extraordinary act of compassion. One of the hallmarks of Jesus in the Gospels is his great identification with human suffering. That's one of the things we worship him for and thank him for. So often when he sees suffering, he instinctively reaches out very quickly. He wants to engage with that suffering and to bring healing and miraculous intervention into the difficulties of life. So often he expresses this by reaching out his hand, as he does here when he touches the bier in which the body is laid. He reaches out his hand to the lepers, to the prostitutes who are despised. He reaches out his hand to the tax collectors who are ostracised because they're corrupt and wealthy. He reaches out his hand to the paralysed and to the sick and he provides incredible healing. But the healing isn't just a magical power. It arises out of the work of the Holy Spirit within him, but also it comes through his compassion, a direct identification with humanity. Now, you and I always have a desire for God's compassion in our lives. We want him to understand the things that we go through. And Jesus's human ministry is a reassurance to us that God does actually understand. So if you're facing some great suffering or difficulty as you are listening to this, can I encourage you, God is compassionate. Your heavenly father is compassionate. Jesus Christ is compassionate. And as you cry out to him, he will intervene in your life and do some wonderful things. So Jesus' compassion is the first thing that I want to draw out from this story. The second thing is that there's something in this story that points to Jesus's true identity as the Son of God. 
Resurrections from the dead, as we've said already, were very, very rare in Jewish history. And these resurrections point out the amazing authority of Jesus. Certainly we can see from this event that Jesus could be classified as a prophet of Israel. But the Jews expected not just a prophet, they expected someone who Moses called in Deuteronomy 18 the prophet, the ultimate prophet, who then is linked in Jewish history with the emerging figure of the Messiah. And I think it's wonderful to think that as Jesus raised people from the dead, it prefigures the fact that he's going to bring about an eternal resurrection. So I want to turn as we conclude this episode to an important passage in John chapter 5, verses 25 to 30, which speaks about resurrection, but points out that the ultimate resurrection is not something that might miraculously happen in this life like happened to this boy in Nain but the ultimate resurrection is what happens after our death and is associated with entry into eternal life. Let's read John 5 verses 25 to 30. Very truly I tell you a time is coming And has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who has sent me. Here Jesus points out the fact that Ultimately, resurrection is a universal human experience that will happen on the day of judgment. So events like this prefigure something much greater. So on the day of judgment, the day that Jesus comes again to this earth, there will be a a physical resurrection of all people, some to eternal life and some to face the judgment of God and to face their condemnation. But we who believe, we hope for an eternal resurrection. When we look at a story like this, we see this prefigures something even greater that will happen not just to a few people, but to all who are truly saved. And that truly is an amazing hope. So thanks for joining us for this episode. uh, And I look forward to you joining us as we continue in series five. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.